Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Dan Snow's History. In this episode, I really want to share with you a brilliant episode from a sibling podcast of history hits in our stable. This is Warfare, a fantastic team led by Dr. James Rogers there. And he talked to Tony Fellon and Susanna Fogel. They're creators of the new TV series, A Small Light, which explores a really remarkable true story. It's the woman who hid Anne Frank and her family during the Holocaust. You might have heard my interview with Anne Frank's stepsister on this podcast a little while back. So this is really does fill in the story from another point of view. James and his two guests discuss Meep Guys, how she went from being Otto Frank's employee to hiding that family in the annex for two years. After listening to this podcast, go and check out A Small Light. It's streaming on Disney+. Plus. There are two episodes released each week, and it's really good. In the meantime, folks, enjoy this episode of Warfare. Hi, Susanna and Tony. Welcome to Warfare. And thanks so much for taking the time to talk about your new series for Disney Plus and National Geographic, A Small Light, an eight-part drama that follows Meep Guys, the young secretary who took on the dangerous and monumental task of hiding Otto Frank and his family from the Nazis during World War. Now, Susanna and Tony, you are both known for your work on some of the biggest shows in US television and film, from Grey's Anatomy and The Flight Attendant to Booksmart, amongst many, many others. What is it that made you want to focus on the history of the Frank family, a history that most people will think they know everything about? Well, my wife Joan and I, she created the show with me. We've always been interested in Meep. There's a documentary in 96 called Anne Frank Remembered where Meep is interviewed about her relationship with Anne and the fact that she's the one who saved the diary after the Nazis had dragged them all away. And she was this really kind of remarkable woman, feisty and funny and reflexive. And so we were interested in her, and then we took our kids to the Anne Frank Museum about seven years ago. And while we were there, we were reading about Meep, about that she was this young woman, newly married, when she first started working for Otto Frank, and then he 
asked her to help hide his family. I need your help hiding my family. You need to take your time to think it through. No, I don't. What do I do? And she instantly said yes, no hesitation. And he was like, no, 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 you should really think about it. And she said, I don't have to think about it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And he was taken aback and we were taken aback by who is this person? And our son, who was about Meep's age, was there with us. And we kind of looked over at him and we were like, oh, my God, she's him. I mean, she's just starting out in life, really doesn't know how the world works and is the farthest thing from a spy that you can ever imagine. So how did that happen? And just answering those questions, as well as the fact that we uncovered that Otto lived with Mipignan for seven years after the war. And so how did these two people of different classes, different nationalities, go from being employer-employee to family? And it felt to us like this was a great way to tell a story where the Franks are more peripheral to the story. It's really about a young woman, her young marriage, and this commitment that she's made, and what are the ramifications in her life. Tell us a little bit about Meep, about her own history. I was lucky enough to head down to the Anne Frank house and talk with some of the archivists there, and we've had them on the podcast before, and the message that I got from them, and I've had it time and time again, is that it's time to focus on those around the Frank family, just exactly as you were saying, that the bravery and heroism that they exhibited. But from every interview that I've seen with Meep, she wouldn't describe herself as a hero, would she? Ever, no. Well, she was, a lot of people know about the kinder transport, but there was I was surprised to find out actually a very similar thing that happened after the First World War, where especially children, Meep was from born in Vienna to a single mother, and the poverty and hunger and malnutrition there after the war was pretty intense. She was 10 years old at the end of the war, very sick, had tuberculosis, and they put her on this train going to Holland that had been neutral in the war, so there was plenty of food. She was adopted by a Dutch family of all of these sons and her, and really kind of taken in by these people and found over time that she felt very comfortable there and never ended up going back to Vienna. Cut to, she meets Otto Frank, who is a recent German emigre. She speaks fluent German. She is able to serve as this kind of wonderful conduit for him and his family and his extended community of German Jewish emigres as this kind of wonderful introduction to the Dutch, to the language, to the culture, to the traditions. So she became part of that circle of people. So when you say, what did Meep and Otto have in common? I think this identity as an immigrant was very important to them. Otto Frank was a, I think he would say he was a non-observant Jew who really thought of himself first and foremost as German. So when the German government suddenly said to a man who had served his country, was a lieutenant in the First World War, was wounded in action, you're no longer German, he had a hard time reconciling that. I think that explains quite clearly about how Meep and Otto established their relationship and how, like you say, that continued for many years after the war. But one of the things that fascinates me about Meep herself is that it wasn't just Otto that was asking her for help. It seemed like that anybody who needed help or sheltering at this period of time, and I think this is documented so well by the two of you in this series, but why is it that people turned to meet? Was she just someone with an open heart who people knew they could get help from? Were there people trying to take advantage of her? What was it about Meep that meant people could turn to her? 
I don't know. I think she has a great warmth to her. Obviously, we're talking about our interpretation of me, which is a composite of, of things we've read and things that Anne said, but that she felt like a relatable person that you could talk to, that she didn't feel that there's an openness to her and just that she feels like she could be her best friend. You know, that's why we really wanted to cast her and write the scenes and direct her in such a way where you're like, okay, this is this should not feel like this exalted hero that is unrelatable. It should feel like a person who just made a decision to do something instead of not doing something to help people who are being victimized. So, yeah, I think just her openness, her relatability, her accessibility, the fact that she had a complicated story herself, the fact that she was leading an out-of-the-box life. She didn't care about getting married. She didn't care about having kids. She was not doing things by the book. So I think people felt comfortable approaching her and saying, how do you feel about this slightly subversive or massively subversive thing we're asking you to do? They suspected that she would have a very autonomous perspective on that, and she did. And one of the things that we talk about in the show is once you have said yes, how do you say no? Mm -hmm. The next time it comes up, we see them over and over again say yes and yes and yes, but at the same time have conversations between themselves saying there has got to be a line. Yeah, There's got to be a place where we can say no but they just don't find it because the ground is constantly shifting under them. Hey, I'm Don Wildman. And on American History Hit, my expert guests and I journey across the nation and through the years to uncover the stories that have made the United States. From first flight to first ladies, from stitching the Star-Spangled Banner to striking gold in California to shooting for the moon with Apollo. We've got you covered. Catch new episodes of American History Hit, a podcast by History Hit, every Monday and Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful. Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. And also remember when you use a messaging app, they shrink the photos. You cannot print those out. You cannot blow them up. This is high quality imagery going to one of the most important people in your life. The Aura app is super easy to set up. It takes about two minutes and you're going to love it. There's free unlimited storage, add unlimited photos and videos and invite as many people as you want to a frame. Right now, Aura has got a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code DANSNOW at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Can I help you? Tell me where I can find Otto Frank. 
So what are you going to tell me? He's my boss and my friend. What would you have me do when Mr. Frank asked? Ask, Say no! Ask me! I didn't think I had to consult you before deciding to save a person's life. How do you say no? And what would any of us have done in that situation? I think that comes to a head so well in the series. And I ask listeners to watch out for that particular moment where Meep and Yan have a specific argument about it. And it does, it makes you start to think, you know, what would I do in that situation? Do you focus on their relationship purely to try and help us become more related to the characters, to try and perhaps raise some more pertinent issues about what we should do in our own current political climate with the the challenges of racism, for example, that we face today. Yeah, I mean, I think having that relationship exist just is one more facet of Meep that makes her a living, breathing character and not just a person defined only in terms of the greatest hits of her heroic moments. You see her in the spaces between and you get to know her as a real person with a real relationship where she doesn't always do or say the right thing. And we really wanted people to be able to connect to that and to see themselves in her so they don't sort of just see her as this canonical figure doing playing one of three roles in a war, victim, villain, hero, but also just being a person and showing other people who occupy one or more of those spaces or or none of the above. So we wanted to change the face of what we believe heroism looks like, which is it can just be a very small thing that anyone can do. And that's what me believe too. But yeah, if people are thinking about that and thinking, what would I do? And then it can't help but resonate with something that they're seeing around them as they look at the news every day or anything. You can see so many parallels with what happens in the show to what's going on now. And yeah, if people can be a little bit more attentive to that and a little bit more inspired to do something as small as it may be, knowing that it could have such a huge impact, then we've succeeded in that way. We were also committed to the idea that we wanted to show these in-between moments between these bigger events How do those bigger events then wash into your personal life, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your parents, your relationship with your friends, and especially when you're living in a circumstance where you cannot be completely honest with anybody? Mm -hmm. That's a really difficult space to live in. And so their kind of ongoing commitment to doing that, I find one of the more inspirational elements of them because they wanted to be able to share everything with each other, but... They were forced to keep secrets from each other. And I think this is something that the cast for this series gets across so well. I mean, what, what an amazing cast. And, and Belle Powley just presents Meep in such depth, I think. But that must be also testament to your own directing and writing and the research. At least I'm going to give you the opportunity to kind of bring us some light onto the process that goes behind the research into this. I know that you filmed on location at the Frank House. That must have in itself been a particularly moving and poignant moment and one that must have been difficult to navigate at times. But while you were there, were you able to draw on some of the expertise, some of the archives? You know, what was it that you base these characters upon? We hired a Dutch researcher who combed through the Amsterdam City archives to find us anything about Meep and Jan. We were able to interview people who had never been interviewed before. There were many survivors who did not want to share their stories. And surprisingly enough, it's only when their grandchildren came to them and said, you've got to tell this before you leave this earth. You have to share with us what happened, that they're now just now opening up a little bit about it. So that was exciting. And also we, because of the subject matter, found ourselves meeting survivors as we were scouting locations, as we were just moving through the cities of city of Amsterdam. I went on a 
scout of Merwederplein, which is where the Frank's apartment was, and Dutch Angle, who was our production services company in Amsterdam, set me up with a historian who had just done a oral history of the neighborhood. And as we were walking through the streets, she ran across the street to this old woman who was pushing her grocery cart, and she beckoned me over, and this woman was a playmate of Anne's. And so I said, what was Anne really like? And she was like, Anne was a pain in the ass. <laughs> Anne had to be right all the time, but you know, she was a big personality. But just to have contact with those people who knew the actual people mm -hmm. and went through the experience themselves, obviously is really humbling when you're telling a historical story, but that detail, that's what ideally makes it not feel staid and formal and stately, but makes it feel real and lived in mm -hmm. and immediate, which was always our intention. And we don't have long left, Susanna and Tony, we don't have long left to document these first-hand living histories of this truly terrible period in history. And so I suppose it's here that your new series provides a really important service as well, because you're providing this history potentially to a whole new audience on Disney Plus and, and National Geographic, perhaps even a younger audience. Is that something you had in mind when creating this show? Yeah, I mean, I think especially when it became clear that Disney Plus was going to be our home, it felt like that much more exciting. You know, there's always, as you're presenting your pitch to different outlets, you think about different versions, slightly different versions of the show and who's going to be watching what what networks. And Disney Plus is watched by everyone and young people and a lot of families, so many families subscribe to Disney Plus in all sides of the political spectrum all over the world. And that's really the best possible outcome for this show is not to just target people who are highly educated, liberal, know about this, believe this, but also targeting people who might live in a community that doesn't talk about this or where there's Holocaust denial or where there's the banning of the diary, which is something that some factions of Americans are trying to do. Anyway, just people coming to this material with maybe with no knowledge of it or with disinformation about it and getting to see an alternate, more truthful history of it. It feels like a really wonderful outcome of being with Disney for this. So our intention is, best case scenario, we have young people watch the show, and as they do, then do a deep dive. Yeah. Then go online and dig into it themselves and maybe go back to the diary or read it for the first time or go on Wikipedia and dig into me. want to go to Amsterdam and wanna... go to the house themselves. Or, yeah. yeah. We want that. An, an interest in history because they've been hoodwinked into being entertained and to caring is our goal for the young people. But keeping in mind just that young people consume media in a d very different way than we did when we were growing up, yeah, you want to kind of tap into that and find a way to engage them on social media, to engage them in as many ways as you can to kind of pull them into Tony will be developing a it. historical video game. It's all part of the, <laughs> part of the campaign. <laughs> Go on Meep's shopping trip. <laughs> Yeah, so we're hoping to reach as many people as we can with the show. Well, as you say, it's incredibly pertinent, surprisingly poignant, I suppose, at this moment in time, because there are those in the United States. So I think the illustrated version of Anne Frank's diary has been banned in some parts of the United States. Yeah, so it's a, it's we do a, indeed it's, live in strange times. It's an amazing graphic novel, a depiction of the story. But I think that that just goes to show that as we grapple with new generations coming up, the Anne Frank house... I think two or three years ago, did a video diary version to kind of, if Anne had had a cell phone and was telling the same story, what would it look like? 
so I think it's just, yeah, like the graphic novel, it's a different way of engaging people and getting them to ask their grandparents what was life like back then and how are yeah. things different. And it's a scary time to be a historian and a writer and a filmmaker, but I think these are the times that compel you to tell certain stories. Absolutely. Well, Susanna and Tony, thank you so much. A Small Light, a powerful eight-part series starring the always excellent Belle Powley, Joe Cole, and Liv Schreiber is out in the spring. Thank you both so much for your time. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. But before you go, a reminder that you can now follow along online on Twitter at HistoryHitWW2, on Instagram at JamesRogersHistory, and on TikTok. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Talk also at James Rogers History. You can also subscribe to our free Warfare Wednesdays newsletter via the link in the show notes. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code DANSNOW at checkout.